0: It was a wacky weekend of politics as we come up on the primary. The long, long race for the Republican primary for Senate is almost over. You'll be safe to watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune again, (laughs) at least for a while. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And as always on a Monday, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's dive right in. With Election Day tomorrow and so many Republicans running to fill the Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman, reporter Andrew Tobias thought he'd take a look at how each candidate compares to Portman for people who might want someone similar to him or someone who is not. Lisa, what are the highlights?
1: Well, let's take a look at Rob Portman first. He voted with Trump on legislation 88.3% of the time. So if a candidate, if a GOP candidate wins in November, they probably won't be voting very differently than Portman. It's all a question of tone. Portman has been called vanilla. He's he's also a diplomat and a statesman. He's a bridge builder. He's been in the halls of Congress for a long, long time. He has strong ties with Ukraine and... Uh, You know, so he does have that experience, and he also avoids taking stands on controversial issues until the very last minute and he's very non-committal with reporters some would call that spineless but if you look at <laughs> but and we have um, and, but if you look at some of the things where he's a little bit more moderate he did back same-sex marriage he did support Biden's infrastructure bill he did condemn Trump after the January 6th riot and he also backed Ohio Congressman Anthony Gonzalez who was one of the few Republicans to vote to impeach Trump so that's what Portman looks like. Um, Who looks the most like him? Probably Matt Dolan. He's got a more moderate voting record. He has positioned himself as Portman's successor. Um, Jane Timken was endorsed by Portman. But she also opposed the infrastructure bill, and she won't condemn Trump or the one-six insurrection. She also, at first, supported Anthony Gonzalez when he, uh, you know, impeached Trump, and then she turned on him afterwards. J.D. Vance. He's anti-big business. He wants to go after big business and big tech. Portman is very much a business-friendly uh, person, and also JD Vance said that terrible thing about that he didn't care about Ukraine. Well, Portman cares deeply about Ukraine. Has been there and has been trying to, you know, broker. He's tried to get them more, you know, resources and everything else. So. Let's see how this falls out. But it sounds like Dolan is probably the closest in tone. But as far as voting, will they vote any differently from Portland? Probably not.
0: Yeah, I, I, you're right, though. J.D. Vance is like the anti-Portman. He's a, a firebrand. I mean, he had Matt Gaetz and, and what's-her-name, the other crazy, on the stage with him this weekend. If you want to have a senator that is going to be just constantly bringing Jim Jordan publicity to Ohio that's him he is not like Portman and Dolan is we'll know hopefully tomorrow it's been a long road it's today in Ohio a bit of a shocker from the weekend the Cuyahoga County Sheriff quit Layla he's been pushing back against some of the jail decisions and I wonder if he just got fed up what do we know if anything
2: yeah, we don't know much yet, but we're certainly going to follow this today. Sheriff Christopher Villan resigned abruptly Friday, citing personal reasons. After serving really only a year, little more than a year on the job, before becoming sheriff, Villain, served as, as police inspector general for, for Cleveland's Department of Public Safety. He also served with the Solon Police Department from 1987 to 2019. He worked in various roles from patrol officer, detective, patrol sergeant. Uh, patrol lieutenant, detective lieutenant in chief. And uh, he was the third permanent sheriff since Budish took office in 2015. He replaced Sheriff Pinckney, who resigned in August 2019. It's really unclear at this point what's motivating his departure, although, you know, like you said, there's clearly been a lot of tension surrounding the decisions about building the new jail, whether or not to build it on on a toxic brownfield that, that requires a lot of remediation or to renovate the current facility. There, there have also been controversies regarding jail operations, this violent criminal who was released accidentally, and then the spate of jail deaths that have raised questions. So we'll see if we can get some more answers this week. I mean, a lot of pressure surrounding the jail and, and his work, um, but but you know we, we don't really know.
0: Yeah, he did speak up in one of those meetings that we don't have access to to say he would prefer not to have his guards work on a toxic site. But I I wonder if this is just more evidence of how the charter kind of made the sheriff's position dysfunctional that, you know, for for the rest of Ohio and for most of the country, you elect the sheriff. But when we changed the charter a little over a decade ago, we put the sheriff under the county executive feeling like it's like a police chief and you don't elect the police chief. But it's been a nightmare pretty much throughout the period that Budish has been in charge, and and the heavy hand of the county executive on the law enforcement agency does seem to to not work well. Right. I mean, least, that was that ahead. was
2: Pinckney's that was Pinckney's uh, uh, argument as well, is that he felt hamstrung to make the choices that he needed to to improve jail operations, and he felt like he was at a loss. And maybe villain was kind of finding himself in the same predicament. Uh, but we'll see if we can nail that down this week.
0: Well, and look, let's face it. He, he knows how important the job was. Is He knows that lives are in the balance. And the fact that he decided to leave anyway tells you that there's some real gravitas behind this. Lisa, do you think this will get the argument going again? Let's just elect the sheriff. Let's change the charter. Something you believe in?
1: Yes, I certainly hope it does. And I think you've even mentioned it in the past, like pre-pandemic, that maybe we should rethink it. But I I really think that we do, because as I said before, the sheriff in this situation is only as good as the executive overseeing him. So yeah, I, I feel like he needs to be elected. And you have to think, yeah, He's not a police chief. He oversees the welfare of hundreds, th- thousands of inmates. I mean, that's a big, big job that a police chief just doesn't have.
0: We did have a corrupt sheriff for many years and Gerald McFaul. Uh, the argument people make for electing the sheriff today is that the state law has been changed and McFall could not be elected because he wasn't a law enforcement officer. He never got that training. And maybe maybe so. What what we do know is what we're doing is not working. This is a big loss. How are you going to find another person to be sheriff when Armin Budish has, what, seven months left in office, and the next executive will want his own sheriff? So this is kind of ugly, and I hope we do get answers. It's Today in Ohio. Every time the conversation turns to closing the Burke Lakefront Airport That tiny number of people who oppose that move trot out the same tired arguments. They're doing it again, Laura. What are those tired, lame arguments?
3: Well, I mean, you couldn't have a national air show in Cleveland if we didn't have Burke Lakefront Airport. People wouldn't be able to come watch and sit on their boats and stay at the, you know, on the base and watch it. I, I don't think that a a one-time-a-year show over Labor Day is really a reason to keep an airport in downtown, but that is an argument. Um, Another one is that a third of all the flights um, that are non-training flights at Burke Lakefront involve medical transportation, whether organs for transplant, air ambulance services, or patients flying in for treatment. So that's a huge number. Um, Visiting professional baseball and football teams prefer Burke because it's closer to the Browns and Guardians stadiums, I'm sure basketballs as well, lawyers, bankers, business executives, they all use the airport for easy access with private flights. And then there are helicopters for a couple of news stations and they all use Burke. But the numbers of people using Burke have been really decline, a declining traffic volume had peaked in 2000. So we're a long way from that. Right.
0: And if, look, if they want to have the air show, there are lots of places that um, have air shows that that are not on a lakefront. You could always put it out at the Richmond airport or I don't know about lost nation. It, it, all of these things are trotted out every time the medical, the, the, the transplants, they could go out of the Richmond airport. It's, Mm -hmm. it's in Richmond Heights. It's right nearby and it's the County owned airport. It's just this desperate thing from a tiny group of people that are trying to thwart the overarching good that would come from having a true, Lakefront. As I read that story, I just thought, man, how many times have we <laughs> been here? This is the same thing over and over again. A bunch of whining by a small group of people.
3: And this, the person that's run the uh, lake, the Burke Lakefront um, air show for, I don't know, probably three decades now, said they, they, this comes up every time. And it, she's not that worried because it just goes away. But I have to say, this is more movement we've seen on this issue than we've seen in the last 16 years under Frank Jackson. There's actually a study being done. It's, it's part of a study that always needs to be done uh, for the FAA. But this year, they're actually looking at the possibilities of closing Burke, which had obviously not been done under Jackson. And so they're going to, this is CHA Consulting. They're going to talk to members of the community who use the airport and those who think there's a better use. But I got to say, the airport logged 40,296 takeoffs and landings in 2021. That's roughly the same as 2019 before the pandemic. I mean, 40,000, that is, that does not seem very high at all. And just so we know, it operates at a loss. The deficit's projected to be about $640,000 this year.
0: My favorite line in the story was somebody who said, Every time a new mayor comes along, we have this discussion. We had not had a new mayor in 16 years. It's like every time a new mayor comes along, what are you talking about? We've had like three in 25, 30 years every time a new mayor comes along. Okay, well, the tired arguments are on Cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. The ACLU, busy for the past six months fighting Ohio's elected Republicans over gerrymandering, took some time out to file suit against the state on another front, the new state conscious clause for doctors. Lisa, what's at stake?
1: Well, the ACLU filed their lawsuit Friday, also along with the Cleveland law firm of Baker Hostetler. And the plaintiff in the suit is Equitus Health. It's a nonprofit providing health care to LGBTQ patients in 13 Ohio communities, including Akron. They seek to remove this conscience clause that was inserted into the 2021 budget bill at the last minute. They say that it violates the Ohio Constitution's one subject rule by inserting policy matters into unrelated bills. So this conscience clause allows healthcare providers, insurance providers, and hospitals to deny care based on their personal conscience. Now, when this bill landed on Governor DeWine's desk, he didn't do a line item veto on this. He said he didn't think it was a problem. He said, if people can't find the healthcare that they need, they can find someone to do, quote, those things. So the ACLU is not pulling any punches. They're calling this the healthcare denial law. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, the one thing is you're not supposed to stick this into a budget bill. You're supposed to put it through a series of hearings and have a single topic. And, and it seems like every couple years now the legislature puts forth all sorts of questionable things without having a hearing through the budget bill. And it really is something that, that you got to watch because bad law comes through that way.
1: Yeah, and, and they do. It sounds like they have a pretty strong legal leg to stand on here. But there was a similar suit filed by the city of Columbus that challenges the, you know, the conscience clause. They say it violates the home rule, you know, situation. But Attorney General David Yost said he will fight the city of Columbus lawsuit that challenges home rule. He says their suit is meritless and authoritarian and that the law is grounded in historical constitutional bedrock.
0: Okay, then. It's today in Ohio. It seems like every time Cuyahoga County has a proposal to spend many millions of dollars on a controversial project, officials make the claim that they need an immediate decision. Rush, rush, rush. It's urgent. Looks like that is happening now with the plan to flush $46 million down the drain in the failing medical mart. Layla, why are they arguing for this urgency?
2: Yeah. Well, Caitlin Durbin reports that the Cuyahoga County Convention Facilities Development Corporation Board, also known as the C C F D C F C D F F C D C F C is pretty much full steam ahead on this plan to pour forty six million dollars into the failed global center to renovate it in time to prepare that space for what they're calling the Super Bowl of convention events. That's the American Society of Association executive. It's the largest gathering of national convention and meeting planners. It's expected to come to Cleveland in 2023 or 2024 or something like that, sometime in the next couple of years, for everything to fall into place in time for that huge event. They need to decide on a design builder as soon as June. They have to finalize designs and lock in a price by the end of the year. And then they have to start construction in 2023. And the renovations are then expected to take 18 months, and that would leave them five weeks of preparation before hosting the Super Bowl of conventions. So members of the CCCFDC FDC were reviewing proposals from design builder candidates later that day on Friday. And remember, we've got $5 million of this funding coming from federal stimulus dollars, and then $5 million coming from the board reserves. But the rest of the $34 is going to come from county bonds. So this is going to require county council approval, and they're hearing a presentation on this on May 10th. So what do you think we're going to do about it? Think about it.
0: One, the county has never finished a project on time, yeah. right? So with five weeks, they'll blow it. Two, this convention <laughs> opted to come here without the MedMart. They looked at the convention facility as it stands today and said, we want to come here. So don't do it now. Wait until they're done. Come back and do it in three years. There's no rush to get this done. The thing's been failing since it was built. It's another artificial scam. It's, hey, we got to do this now. We do, no discussion. Just do it. Just do it. While in the public, there's a massive amount of discussion. The public's dead set against squandering this money. I mean, I hear from people all the time. You have one county executive candidate and Lee Weingart adamantly opposed to it. Chris Ronayne is still waffling on this. He's been waffling on multiple issues of late. But this is something you would think that the next administration should have some sort of say in rather than using some artificial deadline. It's, it's amazing how often they do it, and it's amazing how often the council <laughs> falls for it.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I hadn't even thought of the point that they have already committed to coming here in 23. <laughs> They've already signed on the on the line. Why why do we need to pretty up the space for a group that we've already uh, we've already we've already got them uh, to commit to their 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 event? Um, you know, and also they kept saying during this meeting, you know, trust us, this, is, this isn't like the MedMart yeah, model that right. was untested and it failed. This is a proven model. We know this is going to work. But, you know, we're still in a pandemic and the convention business is still only beginning to recover. And, and yet we are poised to go all in on it with $46 million. In rent. I mean, they're going to expand their ballroom from 11,000 square feet to 22,000 square feet and, you know, add all these You know, it's just it's it's kind of I don't know.
0: I Look, it's another one where the county council's job is to be skeptical. They should be asking the questions we're asking here. Wait, they already signed the contract. They like it the way it is. Why don't we wait three years till after they come and really think about whether we want to spend this money when we have so many other needs and seniors are saying they can't afford any more in property taxes, and they're desperate for some relief from these elected officials.
2: And you're right, with that tight five-week window, the chances—the chances, the chances of, of there still being construction when that group comes to, <laughs> to for their convention, and then it's going to look terrible. Let, let's it's, consider it's the so... county's
0: record on meeting a deadline. Dare I mention the computer project?
2: That
1: oh, took God.
0: years and years beyond when it was supposed to be done. It's just not, this isn't a feasible thing. But it's, again, instead of being honest and having an open discussion about whether this is merited, they come in and rush, 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 Guy, we, we got to move quick, got to move quick. This is important. It's the Super Bowl of conventions. Well, I mean, that's just nonsense.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yep. Jeff Applebaum is the driver of this ship and the and, jail.
0: Yeah, of every county ship since what, 10 years ago. I think that might change after the next administration comes in. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why did Cuyahoga County elections officials sound an alarm on Friday? Laura, tomorrow's election day. It's kind of late to be sounding an alarm.
3: Well, exactly. But that's the thing is that they've only seen about 55 percent of the ballots returned uh, from what was requested as of Thursday. And Kaiga County is used to an 85 percent return rate. That's pretty good. They said Friday that they're just expecting this. They want people to turn their ballots in and they just want to remind people the election is Tuesday. I feel like it's been coming forever, but it's finally here and you need to get them back and you can either have a postmark by Monday or you can drop them off at the board of elections until 730 on Tuesday. But um, yeah, normally 85%, but of the 33,242 ballots that have been sent out as of Thursday, only 18,278 had been returned. That's 55%.
0: Right. Well, I, I have a good idea why, because I'm hearing right. from readers that people didn't know what district they were in for Congress. I, we got notes thanking us for running the map that we published online Friday and in print over the weekend showing exactly which municipality was in which district in Cuyahoga County, because nobody is really telling the voters they didn't know. So
3: there's been so much confusion. And, you know, with with pushing the legislative races back to an unknown time this summer, I think people were confused about what was happening in this primary and when they needed to vote. And, yeah, I think all of the stuff with the redistricting has taken a fairly straightforward process and just made everybody super confused.
0: Well, so one person said I I've always gotten mailings from dave joyce i wasn't getting any this year and now i know why i'm not in his district it just seems like it was very poorly communicated that's why we ran the map readers basically said can you please run the map i want a better idea where i am so we did it's online at cleveland.com and rich exner put that together right laura
3: Yes, he did. And he's, you know, obviously one of our, 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 data guru for a long time, but, and this is just the people that requested the absentee ballots. I have to think that that number is probably smaller than in a normal year because people were just waiting to see, you know, and maybe that maybe we'll have a big turnout in person. I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, a lot of confusion for the race this year. It's and that- if It is. You can technically request an absentee ballot still, but it's pretty much too late. It won't get counted on time. And if you do want to vote in on Election Day, you've already had your ballot. You'll be voting provisionally. So just note that
0: it's today in Ohio. How much is Cleveland State University paying Harlan Sands to go away? Lisa, one of the reasons that college tuition is so high is they always have golden parachutes for their presidents. They make a lot of money when they're booted.
1: Yeah, and this one is worth nearly a million dollars. The separation agreement between Harlan Sands and Cleveland State uh, calls for a lump sum payout equal to two years of his base salary. So that's $928,000. He also gets a job or can have a job as a tenured professor at the Cleveland Marshall School of Law. That would be about 75% of his current salary. So he'd be paid about $348,000 a year for that professor's job. But here's the thing that's kind of interesting is that he's remaining in the current president's role without presidential duties until June 26th. They've already replaced him. He must leave the presidential residence by September 5th, all moving expenses to be paid. Now, which I, I think the long timeline is kind of weird, but, you know, contracts are contracts, so... You know this is what they agreed to. uh Sanders was hired in twenty eighteen. He had a contract extension last year to through twenty twenty six so think
0: about st- it though mm-hmm. there, there are people that are attending that school that are working two jobs to pay the freight that the, I mean this is the people's university, and this guy who. Didn't do great, apparently, because he's gone after four years. Is getting nearly a million dollars to not work. I'm sure everybody on this call, if I said, hey, how about I give you a million dollars to not work, you would be very grateful for that.
1: But contracts are contracts. I mean, CSU signed this contract apparently with their eyes wide open, and this is not unusual. I mean, presidents do land cushy professorships at some universities after they leave, and, you know, it was agreed apparently to pay two years of his base salary, you know. so there's a national
0: (laughs) debate going on right now on whether we should pay off everybody's student debt. The cost of going to college— today is a broken compact with America and the population. We'd always been the country where you you could get an education without breaking the bank. This is why. I mean, the, you say it's, well, this is what universities do. They should stop. I they agree. stop giving people these kind of golden parachutes, paying them for incompetence. It's a staggering policy, and it's a public university. There ought to be some accountability to the public for it. I mean, while he was there, he made some really bad decisions. He wasn't completely honest about them, and he's walking away with a million dollars. It's a sad state of affairs. It's today in Ohio. Who did President Joe Biden endorse for Congress in the district encompassing Cleveland? Laura, this came at the last minute.
3: Yeah, Chantelle Brown got the nominee or endorsement. And the president said, sent out a statement where he said she's been an ardent advocate for the people of Ohio and a true partner in Congress. We need more leaders like Chantelle to help continue the fight to respond to this pandemic, lower costs for working families, and rebuild the middle class. And then Brown returned her own statement, saying she's working to further the Biden's agenda and be a unifying leader in Congress. That has been her big theme, that she can work well with others. In this race against Nina Turner, where it's kind of the progressive side of the Democratic Party versus the traditional one. So you've got to think that a Biden, I mean, that's a that's the biggest endorsement you can get. I don't think it's a
0: surprise, though, because Nina Turner was Bernie's right hand during his run. And she she doesn't like the middle of the road Democratic Party that Biden represents. Whereas Chantel Brown does. I don't know. I don't. Does it make a difference? Are people going to cast a ballot for her just because Biden said to? Or does it work against her? Do progressives look at that and say, oh, no, more of the same. We'll know tomorrow who <laughs> wins in that race. So
3: many question marks.
0: Yeah, we'll know tomorrow night. It's Today in Ohio. Warrensville Heights Mayor Brad Sellers is under investigation after we caught him falsifying a notarized document to give himself a tax abatement, which is a pretty big deal. Is County Executive Armin Budish keeping the embattled sellers on the board overseeing the failed medical mart as they contemplate flushing $46 million down the drain there? Layla?
2: It seems like that might be true. Yes. I mean, so the backstory, of course, the Ohio Ethics Commission is investigating whether Sellers used his position as the mayor of Warrensville Heights to grant himself this tax abatement and and signed a notarized document claiming to be debt-free while owing thousands of dollars in unpaid property taxes. And that came to light through Caitlin Durbin's awesome reporting when Sellers was running for county executive for a few days. (laughs) And then he withdrew from that race and after her story's published and the case was referred to the Ethics Commission Anyway, while that investigation has percolated, the county has been kicking the can down the road on answering Caitlin's questions about whether Budish supports keeping sellers on the Global Center board. He's the chair, but his term technically expired in mid-April, and the board's bylaws show that he can continue to hold the seat and the chairmanship until the county executive decides to recommend him for a second term or appoint somebody else. But Budish hasn't said what his intentions are for Sellers, despite Caitlin asking over and over about it. And at the board's quarterly meeting on Friday, Sellers shared this slide showing each of the board members' term lengths, and it included his own. And rather than his term ending this year, the slide showed he had been reappointed to serve through April 2025. So what? <laughs> the county spokeswoman denied that it was true. She said no appointment has been made. But that apparently came as a surprise to the board's attorney, Jeff Applebaum, who said he believes that Budish already has the recommendation form and that he anticipates it's going to be signed. Then it will go before the board for a vote, A which, vote, which Applebaum said he expects would be passed so you know listen if if this tacit appointment of brad sellers is budish's way of avoiding having to publicly endorse the guy given his legal entanglements this is pretty cowardly i mean this is one of the most cowardly (laughs) moments
0: and it's generally a good idea when somebody is under the cloud that sellers is under to to not keep them in prominent positions. 100%. To say, hey, look, until this is cleared up, let you know, let's let's have you exit. We can always bring you back. But again, it's one of those thumbs in the eye. I mean budish was trying to put Dave Wondolowski right. on the pool.
2: That's the other one that was icky.
0: It seems, like, it seems like as he goes out the door, he's really trying to destroy whatever legacy he had. Or maybe he's trying to divert attention from the disaster that he created in the jail. Because we're talking about this. You know, maybe that's what he wants. Let's talk about things like this and not the bigger structural issues. Good good stuff by Caitlin on that Convention Center uh, board. Uh, check it out on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Layla, we didn't put it on today's list. Maybe we'll talk about it later in the week. But we did have an a interesting interview with Maureen O'Connor uh, over the weekend by Bob Higgs. And the highlight of that for me was the idea that, that she does, says she never gets angry. And I have a hard time believing that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were talking about that. You were coming up with all the ways that human beings do become angry and— <laughs>
0: Well, I'd like to oh, be sitting that next to her. That possibly be
2: true. That she yeah. doesn't
0: get angry. I, I would, I would like to, to talk to her family about when she's driving <laughs> and there's a moron in front of her driving four miles an hour. Does she really keep her cool? Does she really leave her passion at the door, or does she do what we all do and and say bad things that we can't Clearly say? Clearly, she
2: means in, in her professional world that <laughs> she's dispassionate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, check out Bob Higgs' story. It's on cleveland.com. I think it was in a plane dealer on sunday that's it for another monday discussion thanks lisa thanks layla thanks laura we'll be back tomorrow election day the final day before the vote is in to talk about some more news